Welcome to Holistic Wellness, a podcast exploring the science and metaphysics of health and wellness. I'm your host, Brandi Searcy, founder and formulator at Rain Organica, where you'll find holistic skincare in one simple routine. I developed my first ever UTI within two weeks of discontinuing hormonal birth control. A year and a half and five healthcare practitioners later, I myself figured out the underlying root cause of why was my bladder suddenly more susceptible to harboring these bad bacteria. And in today's conversation, that's what we're going to talk about is the root cause of recurrent UTIs. And also, if you have a diagnosis of interstitial cystitis, this is something you'll want to listen to as well. This is the why behind UTIs. My journey with urinary tract infections post-birth control looked something like this. I was on a hamster wheel of experiencing UTI symptoms, specifically urinary urgency and burning while peeing, in my case, as well as cloudy urine and urine that smelled weird. And even though I'd told each one of these five healthcare practitioners that I saw over that year and a half that my urine smelled weird, it smelled fruity, to me it smelled like acetone, like it had some kind of acetone bodies in it, you know, this should have flagged them to ketone bodies, which is where we're going with this. It did not clue them in to look for an underlying dysregulated sugar metabolism. So what I was subjected to instead was standard urine cultures, which would inevitably turn out positive. I was placed on antibiotics, which definitely helped because yes, a urinary, the infection is a result of the underlying cause. So the antibiotics, of course, were killing the bad bacteria that had found their way into my bladder and, you know, in up through my ureter. Um, or urethra, but they were not the, those pathogens were not in and of themselves the cause of the underlying problem. And so what would happen is I would complete a course of antibiotics, my symptoms would quickly return. And so the cycle repeated itself over and over until it didn't. And what eventually happened is that I was experiencing symptoms, but a standard urine culture didn't come back positive. And at that point, I went down a huge rabbit hole. Uh, I actually fell down this for about three to six months where um, I discovered Ruth Chris. And she is a retired nurse practitioner who was on Better Health Guys podcast talking about her own journey with interstitial cystitis and how she discovered that oftentimes these standard urine cultures won't come back positive for specific bacteria because those bacteria don't grow as well in standard urine culture conditions. And so she was talking about doing polymerase chain reaction, so PCR analysis, in order to discover what types of bacteria are in the urine and then being treated for those. So I found a practitioner that 
worked with Ruth Chris. Like I say, she, Ruth is retired. However, she still works with key practitioners. So she doesn't see patients of her own anymore, but she still works with practitioners throughout the United States to uh, help them as they see patients and go down the same pathway. So I took the PCR analysis. It came back positive for a couple of bacterial strains. I was placed on an antibiotic. At the end of that round of antibiotics, the symptoms resumed. We tested again for via PCR. It came up, you know, with other strains, like we were chasing everything under the sun. How was I getting reinfected? You know, was I'd been told it was bad hygiene that I'd suddenly developed after 40 years of being a woman. Um, I was told, oh, well, maybe your partner's infected and he's reinfecting you repeatedly. Um, so anyways, this was what finally culminated is that these PCR tests kept coming back positive. And it, once again, I was on this hamster wheel of being prescribed antibiotics. And uh, I was finally prescribed a 28-day course of Augmentin 875 by the practitioner that I was seeing. And at that point, when she prescribed that high dose of Augmentin, I fired her. And... I decided that I needed to figure out why I was getting reinfected so easily because something all of a sudden in my body had changed. And this led me to discover that it was actually a problem with how my body was regulating glucose and using glucose. So what did I do? Well, did you know? that your body is designed to use glucose and carbohydrates as its preferred energy source. When you force your body into a state where it relies on fats instead of on glucose and carbs for energy, then you enter a state of ketosis. And while the keto diet may be all the rage, here's what it's actually doing to your urine. Those ketone bodies that your kidneys filter out and that wind up in your urine alter the production of ammonia and urea within your urine. Both of these compounds, so both ammonia and urea are antimicrobial. And when you're in ketosis, you produce less of both of these, making it more likely that bad bacteria will thrive and be able to grow inside your bladder. Your bladder itself, contrary to popular belief, is not a sterile environment. So we often hear about our gut microbiome. It turns out that your bladder and your urethra, which is, you know, the opening from or the tube from your bladder to the outside world is how you urinate, are actually actually contain uh, probiotic strains of their own. And while those probiotic strains are fine, what's not fine is the bad bacteria that can find their way into your bladder. And those are the ones that we want to not grow there. So we want to preferentially allow the growth of the good bacteria within your bladder and within your urethra and not allow growth of bad bacteria in these areas of your body. So ammonia and urea both are antimicrobial to the, um, you know, more common UTI strains or to the bacteria that are more likely to cause UTIs. Those ketone bodies themselves are bladder irritants. 
And when your body isn't using glucose properly, so the last one, and really I should have put the second because this kind of ties in with that first one, is that glucose is a great food for any bacteria. And so when you're not, when your body's not using glucose properly from the food that you eat, and so it's excreting more glucose than it should be, then if there's bad bacteria in your bladder, they're going to use that glucose as a food source. And even when your urinalysis comes back that your glucose is not present there, <laughs> just know it may be because the bacteria have already broken down the glucose and used it as a food source. And so this is why it's not showing up in your urine because it's been converted by the bacteria. So um, let's move on. What does hormonal birth control have to do with your body's ability to use glucose? So you remember back at the start of this, I said that I developed my first ever UTI within two weeks of discontinuing hormonal birth control. Well, ethanoestradiol, which is the synthetic form of estrogen that is used in most hormonal birth control here in the U.S., increases insulin resistance. Progestins, which are synthetic progesterones in birth control, also impact insulin and sugar metabolism within your body. Now, for progestins, there are four different generations of progestins. They have each of these four generations have varying androgenic properties and varying degrees of androgenicity. And so for that reason, it's not possible to say as a whole how progestins, so again, these synthetic synthetic progesterones impact insulin metabolism or insulin resistance within your body or glucose metabolism within your body. However, that said, some progestins and progesterone itself have been found to be toxic to the pancreatic cells that produce insulin and use of some progestins has been found to increase your risk of developing diabetes. The last note before we leave this slide, I will say that estrogen, and this includes ethanoestradiol, while they're increasing your body's insulin resistance, they are also increasing the amount of insulin that your pancreas releases. So they're spurring your pancreas to release more insulin while at the same time making your body cells more insulin resistant. So that's another key takeaway on this slide. Now, any combined hormonal contraceptive this is one that contains both estrogen and progesterone and specific progestin-only pills, so POPs, or progestin-only devices, so whether this is an IUD intrauterine device or vaginal ring, pose a risk for developing a sugar metabolism problem. Let's take a look at what is going on. So let's, let's just take another look at this. So your body on birth control, <laughs> your body is in an insulin resistant state. Your insulin production increases in response to high levels of synthetic estrogen and gluconeogenesis, which we're going to talk about gluconeogenesis more here in a minute, is reduced by those synthetic estrogens. And gluconeogenesis plays a key role in how your body processes glucose. And just know when I say glucose here, I'm talking about both glucose and also carbs because of the way that your body uses carbs and breaks down carbs. It can uh, go along the same glucose metabolism pathways to supply your body with energy with, um, with carbs 
just going down the glucose pathway. Now, when you stop birth control, so you just stop it cold turkey, then your body enter your body is liable to enter a ketogenic state. And the reason for this is because your body is insulin resistant. And a lot of this has to do with both how long you have been on hormonal birth control and also how high your natural hormones are. So if you're a woman who is getting older, and by older, I mean over the age of 35, so your natural hormone production, your body's natural hormone production is already slowing down. This is for you. Please consider this. Please know that even if you've gone off hormonal birth control earlier in your life and not exhibited any symptoms, it may be completely different when you stop the next time. So when you stop hormonal birth control, your body is in an insulin resistant state because of the effect that those synthetic hormones have been playing on your body. Your insulin production is reduced because those synthetic estrogen levels fall to zero even while your body's natural estrogen levels are going up to, you know, restart normal hormonal cycle and normal ovulation, even with that, we're talking about a dramatic difference in the level of ethyl estradiol within your body and also in the efficacy and in the way the, the binding capacity of ethyl estradiol to the estrogen receptors within your body. So, Insulin production is reduced because those synthetic estrogen levels fall and because your body's natural estrogen levels aren't high enough to compensate for that reduction in synthetic estrogen. The second one, gluconeogenesis remains low despite clearance of synthetic estrogens. And what this causes is your body to enter a ketogenic state. This is where I found myself. This is why my pee smelled weird. It's why it smelled fruity. It's why it smelled like acetone. It's why when I, it's why it was cloudy is because my body was in a ketogenic state. And this was cloudy even when the standard urine cultures came back negative. Now, what we want to do is we want to get out of that state. And the way that we do this is by reestablishing glucose and carbs is our body's preferred fuel source. So, and the way that we do that is to reestablish insulin sensitivity within our body and, and to reestablish the balance so that our insulin production matches our energy consumption. And also we want to support recovery of gluconeogenesis and arrive at a balanced state. Now, just so you know, what we're talking about here is not diabetes. There are some key differences, most notably quite often in diabetes, even though your body is in an insulin resistant state, quite often gluconeogenesis can be upregulated rather than downregulated. And the gluconeogenesis that we're talking about specifically is liver gluconeogenesis, not skeletal muscle nucleogenesis and not fat cell gluconeogenesis. It's liver gluconeogenesis. And again, we're going to come back to this here um, in a sec. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what is gluconeogenesis? Well, when your body is unable to use the glucose or again, the carbs that are in your diet, or when you're between meals, 
the way that your body is made to supply the energy that it needs in any given moment is through a process known as gluconeogenesis. And again, this occurs in your liver, your skeletal cells, your skeletal muscles. In addition, it occurs in the kidney. What we're focused on primarily here in this conversation is liver gluconeogenesis. When you eat, glucose is converted into a storage form known as glycogen. And then when your body needs to fuel itself, that glycogen is converted back to glucose, which again is the preferred energy source for the cells within your body. And this picture here on the right just shows kind of upregulation and downregulation of gluconeogenesis along with um, glycogen, glycogenesis, so that formation of the storage form of glucose. It's kind of beyond the scope of what we're talking about today. You don't need to know the whole metabolism. Here's what you do need to know. Keto and other severe carb-restricted diets, insulin resistance, and alcohol use, the three of those diminish your body's ability to convert stored glycogen into usable glucose. And this puts you in starvation mode, or forces your body to use protein and fat as its fuel source, placing you again in that keto state. Gluconeogenesis primarily happens in your skeletal muscles. Um, I've mentioned you know, this, this already, your liver and your kidneys. Um, in the keto community, there's a term known as keto crutch. And when your body, and this took me, this was not easy to find. This took me, it's, seriously, it was only when I was putting together this podcast episode that I was able to find this. And that's because I went off the deep end trying to find it. So when your body burns ketones instead of carbs or sugar, aka glucose, then it alters the composition of vaginal flora and it makes you more prone to bacterial vaginosis. Because the keto diet essentially creates a state of pseudo starvation or of pseudo diabetes or something called starvation diabetes within your body. And because you're excreting those ketones through your urine, the ketones themselves, as I mentioned before, alter the normal composition of your urine by altering the amount of ammonia and urea that your kidneys produce. And this creates a better environment for bacteria to thrive, for those bad bacteria to thrive. And then the second one is the ketones in your urine irritate the bladder, creating some of the very same symptoms of a UTI. So the ketone bodies themselves within your urine can cause cloudy urine, cause burning when you pee, and cause urinary urgency. Sound like a UTI? Um, the question is, how do you restore insulin sensitivity within your body so that your body uses glucose and carbs as its pre preferred fuel source rather than ketones? And how do you boost gluconeogenesis within your body, uh, which again is your body's ability to create glucose from its stored energy reserves and place you back in a semblance of balance and a semblance of health where your body's able to get rid of those UTIs naturally on its own because it's back in a state of balance and health. Well, we are tackling both of these questions one by one in Rain Organicus program, UTIs and interstitial cystitis. 
the path to lasting relief. It is available for you to sign up today. The program is $17. And if you are experiencing recurrent UTI and interstitial cystitis, you're probably already clicking that link to sign up. Um, because I know for me, it was a miserable year and a half. For me, I, you know, I still distinctly remember one morning when I was trying to walk out of the house on the way to work and I could not for the life of me make it past the bathroom. I, I stopped, I, I went in, I peed, I got up, I left. I was back in there less than a minute later. Like I hadn't even made it out the door and I was turning around to go back to the bathroom. And I seriously thought I was going to have to call in sick this day. And Yes, there are over-the-counter um, options for reducing UTI symptoms, but those over-the-counter options are not good for you. It's something we're actually going to talk about in a future episode. One of them breaks down into formaldehyde within your bladder, and you don't want that long-term. So, and plus, I mean, you don't want to be beholden to something you have to take every four to six hours long-term. Um, and most of these over-the-counter treatments aren't designed to be taken long-term. So anyways, in this, in this program that I'm offering, we are walking through how to, how to get your body back to that insulin sensitive state that it needs to be in and how to upregulate gluconeogenesis within your liver so that your body is supported and able to use carbs and glucose as its primary energy source. It's getting you out of a keto state back to a state of health. So the course is $17. You have instant access as soon as you sign up. Hit that link in today's show notes to sign up. Thank you so much for listening. If you know someone who would enjoy today's episode, go ahead and take a quick sec and share this link with them. Until next time, bye.